Genesis chapter number 32. Genesis chapter number 32. I told Miss Linda tonight when she came in, I was sitting there jotting some notes down, and uh, she said, oh, I, you know, I hope I haven't interrupted you. I hope I'm not pestering you. And uh, then she told Charlie to keep his mouth shut. I don't know what that was about, but... But I told her, I said, no, I, it's just sometimes the Lord gives it to you early. and Sometimes He gives it to you when you're expecting. Sometimes He gives it to you later than what you're expecting. But He always gives it to you on time. So you pray for me tonight as I preach. Genesis chapter number 32. We're going to read this chapter in its entirety. Now, it's not very long. Don't get nervous. But uh, I believe it's necessary if we're going to understand what's going on in the life of Jacob. Many of you have read this uh, before and probably many times. Tonight, I don't expect to tell you anything you don't already know, but just to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. You say, well, what if my mind isn't pure? Well, you need it doubly. Amen. So, read with me tonight. The Bible says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have have sojourned with Laban, and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants, and women servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau. And also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands. And said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, The Lord which saidest unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children." And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night, and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau his brother, two hundred she-goats and twenty he-goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milk camels with their colts, forty kine and ten bulls, twenty she-asses and ten foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau, and behold, he also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. And say ye, moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face, peradventure he will accept of me. 
So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons, and passed over the ford Jabin. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Let's read once more verse 24. Our text is found there. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him, until the breaking of the day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just ask that you glorify your Son tonight through the preaching of your Word. God, that you'd accomplish in our hearts that which would please you the most. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Thank you for these sweet people that have gathered. Thank you for the sweet Word of God that's perfect and preserved, infallible, that's exactly as it needs to be and needs no changing, altering, or any attempts of improvement by our polluted hands. God, I just ask that you, through your Spirit, would apply your word tonight in a way that would be radically transforming in our lives. Father, we love you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm interested in a little phrase that's found in verse number 24, and I want to preach to you on this idea of being left alone. The Bible says that Jacob was left alone. Alone. Most of you know this story quite well. You've read it many, many times. You've been taught it in Sunday school. But the thing that strikes me is that Jacob had to be brought to a place of being alone before God could accomplish what he wanted to in his life. And you know, I thought this in my message, but I just thought the Lord spoke in my heart as I read that. You know, this is a lot like a sinner is. The sinner sees God as angry. Jacob saw Esau as angry. And Esau, in Jacob's mind, was angry, had a reason to be angry, didn't he? Jacob had defrauded Esau. He had done him wrong. Uh, he had been uh, broken contrary to God's law and lived contrary to God's law. He had every reason to fear Esau. And he tries several things to try to appease Esau, doesn't he? He tries conniving to try to appease Esau and to get away with things. He says, I'm going to send several uh, companies and I'm going to try to get away with it. You know, that's how the sinner is. The sinner always thinks he can outsmart God. Isn't that funny how that is? I mean, we, we think that we can, if, if we can ask a question that somebody can't answer, then, then we've uh, dethroned God. Well, that's foolishness. And some people think, well, you know, if, if I just don't acknowledge God, that means He doesn't exist. Well, that's foolishness. God exists whether you acknowledge it or not. And, and then we see that, that what He did was He tried to appease Him uh, through a kind word or a kind message. He sent uh, something to Esau, and you know what He did? He tried to butter Him up. Now, you, you, you know what it's like to be buttered up or, or to butter someone up. And He tried to call Him His Lord, even though He wasn't living in submission to Esau. And do you know that a lot of sinners try to do that too? 
They think if they talk it, that that's sufficient. Uh, they think if they talk like they're church people or talk like they're religious or uh, know all the lingo and the terminology, that that's enough. And then we see that, that what did Jacob do? He tried to bribe him through a gift. You know, there's a lot of people trying to get their way to heaven by bribing God through their good works. But there had to be a meeting before Esau could be appeased, didn't there? There had to be a wrestling match take place. God was working in Jacob's life to bring him to a greater place of faith, and he did this through this alone time. Do you know, I think we all need a time when we get alone with God. You'll accomplish a lot more alone with God than you will in a multitude of people conniving and trying to find a way to fix their problems. Now, I'm not against counsel. The Bible says that there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. And, and, and I'm for that, but I'm saying there's some things that if you're going to get worked out, you're going to have to get alone with God over it. We don't like the idea of being alone. And I, and I wrote these three words down when I thought about being alone. And I, I thought, first off, that, that the idea of being alone is a repulsive idea to us. You know, there's a lot of people that would admit, and there's nothing wrong with admitting this, that, that the idea of dying alone is one of their greatest fears. We don't like to be alone. We crave human interaction. That's normal for all of us. And no doubt there was something fearful in Jacob's heart this night when he was left alone. But you know what Jacob found out? Even though he thought he was alone, he really wasn't alone. Now, stop and think about the, the contrast that the Word of God says. I mean, think about what a 180 this does. The Bible says that Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him. Now, I don't know about you, but you've heard it before that it takes two to tango. I mean, how could he wrestle with a man until the breaking of the day if he was alone? You see, at the end of the day, he thought he was alone, but he wasn't alone. And I would say that being alone is repulsive, but I would say it's required. It was in Jacob's life. You know, I think sometimes we kind of think that, uh, that God sits up on His throne and, and sovereignly rules this world through whims and through uh, light thoughts and light desires. And I think sometimes we think God's playing fast and loose with our lives. I think sometimes when we go through trials and difficulties, we have a tendency to think, does God really know what He's doing in my life? But do you know that everything God puts you through is required for your life? Everything. God wouldn't have put Jacob through this unless Jacob needed this. And so we see this alone time is required. Can I say to you, and I'll tell you what I'm preaching. I'm preaching on devotional life tonight. That's what I'm dealing with. And can I say your devotional life is not just recommended, it's required. I mean, if you're going to be a Christian and live for God, that alone time is required. It's not just a recommendation. It's not just that God says, hey, this would be good if you did this. It is required that we get alone and spend time with God. Why do you reckon that is? We're going to see in our message that not only was it repulsive and required, but it was revolutionary in his life. This time that Jacob spends with God changes him forever. It was an important time. Can I say there's a lot of people that are frustrated in their Christian walk because they're trying to change in the daytime what only God can change in the nighttime. They're trying to change in the light what only God can change in the darkness. And they're trying to change with others what only God can change when they're alone with Him. I don't know about you, but I'll be honest with you tonight. Prayer time and devotional time is my greatest challenge. Not every pastor will tell you that. Probably not every, pa every pastor would have to tell you that, to be honest. But if I'm going to be honest, I have to tell you that. It's a challenge for me. You say, preacher, are you saying you don't spend time? No, I spend time alone with God, but it's a challenge. 
I've got to fight for every minute of it. I'm reminded, I preached not too long ago, Brother Ralph, on the battle for Selah that the Bible talks about. And it's a battle sometimes to get that, that momentary pause of quiet meditation with God. Sometimes it's a struggle. In fact, I'd say all the time that it's a struggle to get alone with God and to spend time with Him. And it was a struggle for Jacob. Jacob had to be within an inch of his life for God to get him alone. Jacob had to literally be staring down the sword of his own brother for God to get him alone. Don't you know that sometimes God puts us through things to get us alone, and he, it grieves him because he'd love if we'd just come and be alone with him on our own. I'm reminded of what the Bible says in the book of Malachi, as God is pronouncing judgment upon the apostate nation of Israel. And you know what he asks? He asks, who is there among you that would kindle a fire at my altar, at my door, not. You know what he's saying? When he's speaking of the fire, he's speaking of sacrifice. And when he's speaking of his door, he's speaking of his tabernacle. And when he says for not, you know what he's saying? For nothing. Who is there among you that would spend time with me just for no reason? Just because you crave to be alone with God. Who is there among you that loves me enough to spend that alone time with me? I want to say three things tonight, and I'm going to try to be in a hurry. We know how that works, but I'm going to try to anyway. Somebody said to me the other day, said, why do you keep saying that? It's never true. And I said, because I always believe it. And if I believe it, I'm hoping they believe it. Amen? I really do. I want to say that this time of being alone is a time of great challenges. Could I say that there will be some battles when you get alone with God? That's what Jacob is doing. It does not say there talked a man with him to the breaking of the day. It does not say there fellowshiped a man with him. And let me just say before we go any further that I think it's abundantly clear and abundantly biblical that this man that wrestled him with him was none other than the Son of God. Jacob believed that because he said, I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. You say, well, maybe he saw God the Father. Well, the Bible says that God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Uh, the Bible says of the Father that no man hath seen the Father at any time. So Jacob did not see the Father. You say, well, maybe he saw the Holy Spirit. But the Bible speaks of those that are led by the Spirit and says that they're as the wind, that it bloweth where it listeth, and no man can tell. You'll never see the Holy Spirit this side of heaven because He is a Spirit. But the Son of God is different. He's the expression of the Godhead. And though He had not yet been born of a virgin, and though He had not yet uh, died for our sins, been buried, rose again, receiving a glorified body, still we find Him popping up all through the Old Testament. They're what we call theophanies or Christophanies. Old Testament incarnations of the Son of God or pre-Bethlehem incarnation. And so what Jacob is doing, he's not fellowshipping. He's not, he's not just talking or praying. He's not just spending time with. The Bible says he's wrestling with God until the breaking of the day. Now, that sounds like a challenge to me. Don't it sound like a challenge to you? And I want to give you a few things that are going to be challenges in your prayer life. I would say that first off, one of the greatest challenges that you'll have in your prayer life is that of humility. Let me tell you something. That's where we really find out how humble we are. Do you know that prayer is the ultimate act of humility? Prayer, uh, uh, particularly private prayer now, prayer has absolutely no potential to boast in the flesh. Prayer is us confessing our inability before God. 
Prayer is us recognizing our incapacity to do anything. And that God must accomplish it. Prayer is the ultimate, uh, the ultimate rebuke to our flesh. When we pray alone, and you say, well, how do you reckon we ought to, to pray? And I believe that there's nothing wrong with corporate prayer. That's what we call public prayer. But the Bible speaks of a time when we ought to enter into our closets and pray. Not as the Pharisees do out in the streets with vain repetition for men's praise and for men's glory. And I think we ought to, you know, the Bible speaks about giving, and I think this applies to prayer as well, not to let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. You say, well now, what, what does it mean, your right hand and your left hand? Well, the book of 1 Corinthians tells us that we are members of the body of Christ. Not all members are the same. And you say, well, what, do you, what does that mean? It means that it likens the church to the body of Christ. Says some folks are an eye, some folks are an ear, some folks are a nose. I've met some of them that act like a hind end. Amen? Sure. Me, I think I'm probably a foot. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this. When it says your right hand and your left hand, it's saying don't go around bragging about your prayer life. Don't go around bragging about your giving. Don't go around sharing. the, And you know why that is? Because prayer is an act of humility. It's an act of abasing ourselves before God and saying, Lord, I am nothing. And I need you to do something in my heart and in my life. I'd say there's a battle for humility. I would say that there is a battle, listen now, for honesty. What did he say to him? We see it later on in the text. He looks at him and he says, what is thy name? God asked him that. I don't know about you, but it'd be a little strange if God asks me my name, Brother Ralph. But you see, then again, my name, I was not named for anything that has to do with my character. My name is Toby. It's We're talking about names for the service. God must have known I'd be preaching this way. We're talking about different names and, and how we're kind of flippant with name usage now. We'll give people nicknames and all kinds of stuff because a name does not necessarily mean much to us now. My name is, is Toby, which is a variant of Tobias, which is a variant of an Old Testament Hebrew name, Tobijah, which means Jehovah is good. Now, can I say I believe that Jehovah is good tonight? But I, I don't really know, and she can correct me if I'm wrong, not now, but later, amen. But she can correct me if I'm wrong, but she probably did not even know that. In fact, we were talking. Me and my brother, we were named after a book. We were. I'm serious now. How many of you ever remember a book about a little boy that ran away to the circus called Toby Tyler? Any of you? Any of you remember that? Well, Richard's with me. He knows. That ought to tell you something. She named us after a book that nobody read, Richard. Nobody read. I found a copy of it, in fact, when I was up at the flea market this past week and bought it. You say, why? Because you can't find them. You say, why can't you find them? Because nobody read it except Richard and my mama. Those are the only two people that owned a copy of that book. Named us that. I don't think she named us that because she was wanting a testimony that God's good. And I believe my mama believes that. And I know I believe that. But you see, that name wasn't given because it means something. But in biblical times, names were given because of something about a characteristic or prophetically about a person. And Jacob's name means supplanter, deceiver, liar, cheat, crook, charlatan. That's what his name means. So what's God doing when he asks Jacob his name? God's not asking Jacob because God wants to know. God already knows what his name is. God is asking Jacob so that Jacob will admit what he is. He had spent his whole life trying to connive and cheat his way into being successful. But now he's met someone that he can't connive. 
He's met someone that he can't cheat. He's met someone that knows the very inward thoughts and intents of his heart. And he says, I want you to be honest with me, Jacob. Tell me who and what you are. You know what the prayer closet does? It forces us to be honest. I don't know how you do it, but I'll tell you how I do it. And I don't think my way's right and your way's wrong, but I'm just going to tell you how I do it. When I confess my sin to God, I do my best to call it in the ugliest terms I can think of. If, I, if I've told a little white lie, I don't say, God, I've told a little white lie. I tell them, Lord, I broke your commandment and I lied to somebody. And I knew it was right, but I chose to do wrong. And it's my sin and I want you to forgive me of it. If I've got hatred in my heart or bitterness in my heart towards someone, I don't come, I don't come to God and I don't say, Lord, you know, I, I'm sorry for that, but you know what they did to me. No, no. I'll tell you what I think we ought to do is we ought to come before God and say, God, I had a hatred in my heart that didn't come from you because you're love. And that hatred you equated with murder. And so in your heart and mine, I'm a murderer and I recognize myself as such. And do you know what? We might as well go ahead and be honest with God because He knows who and what we are anyway. We want to try to have the same manners and, and foolish politics and politeness with God that we try to entertain with other people. We always try to make ourselves look so good and we make all the excuses in the world. When Jacob gets alone with God, God says, I don't want any excuses, Jacob. I don't want any reasons. I don't want to know how people have wronged you, how they've done you. I don't want to know what your reasons for doing these things were. I just want you to be honest and tell me what you are. And Jacob says, I'm a deceiver, Lord. I'm a sinner. I'm wicked. And I need you. It's a place of great honesty. And there's a challenge to honesty. We don't want to be honest. It scares us to be honest. That's why we don't want to be. Because we know what we are, but other people don't. Now you say, oh preacher, you're a Pharisee, you're a hypocrite. Yeah, just like every single one of us. Let's be honest tonight. If people knew the deepest and darkest corners of your heart, they'd drive you out of this place just like they would me. It terrifies to know. People, people come up sometimes and they say, well, you don't know what happened. I say, I don't want to. <laughs> sometimes it's scary. We don't like honesty. We run from honesty. We expect it of others, but we do not want to reciprocate it because we know who and what we are. But when we're in the prayer closet, we have to be honest because we've got no business being there if we're not going to be honest. If we're going to go and play games with God, that's not the place to do it. It's not the prayer closet. It's not when we're alone. There's no one to impress, and God knows who and what we are. There's the challenge of humility and the challenge of honesty, but there is the challenge of holiness. When we go before God, we're going before Him because we know there's something in our life that needs changing. You say, well, you know, preacher, there's times I just pray and ask God for stuff, and, and I'm not against that. Uh, you know, I hear some people say that, you know, well, you ought, you ought not ever ask God for anything. Well, that's unbiblical. Because the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Uh, Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. The Bible constantly encourages us to ask. But let me say this. That's only one aspect to prayer. Part of prayer, too, is the confession of sin and the, the, the supplication for forgiveness. And listen carefully now. That's holiness business. That's When we go into the prayer closet and we've got sin in our life, we're there to do business with God. And can I say it's a challenge sometimes to admit we need God to fix some things. It is for me. Let me just preach this message at me tonight. Would that be all right? Everybody okay with that? Because that's a lot easier than me just saying, well, that's just me. So you just, if it hits you, it hits you, that's fine. But you just pretend that I'm sitting out there and I'm the only person here tonight. 
It's a struggle and a challenge, and that's holiness business. It's tough to be holy. It's contrary to be holy. God did not ask us to be holy. He commanded us to be holy. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. Why did He do He did not recommend it. He required it. And He did not ask us. He demanded us because it's contrary to us. And one of the challenges that we find in our prayer closet is this challenge to admit that we're wrong and ask God to forgive us, to change us, to do something in our life. It's a place of great challenges, Brother Charlie. But I would say that it's a place of great changes. We find that three things, and there's probably a thousand things, but I'm going to name three. Three things changed in the life of Jacob that night as he wrestled with God. And I would say that the first thing that we see is there was a change in his infirmity. Here he is wrestling with God. Now imagine, wrestling with God. You say, I'd never do something so foolish. You know, when we've got a mind to do something and God tells us that's not His will and we try to fight against Him, we're doing no better than Jacob was. And as he's wrestling with God, the Bible tells us that he began to prevail. Now, some people have trouble with that because they say, well, that that don't make no sense. How could God be defeated by Jacob? Well, I'll tell you how, the same way He's defeated by us in our life. I've preached before and I thoroughly believe it. You can get anything you want. And be a Christian. That don't mean it'll be what you want when you get it. God will let you have your way. God is not going to trample upon your free will. If you're bound and determined to do something, you'll do it. God won't stop you from doing it. We see that in the life of Paul. Uh, Paul, several times, Paul made up his mind. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. The only problem is Paul hadn't asked God about that. Well, God's gracious. So even though Paul didn't ask God about that... God said, well, I'm going to tell him what I think about it anyway. And several times the Bible records people coming up to Paul and saying, Paul, it's not the will of God for you to go to Jerusalem. And that blessed verse that we quote all the time, uh, uh, where Paul says that none of these things move me, neither count I my life so dear, he's out of the will of God when when he's saying that. Now you say, well, no, Paul was never out of the will. No, Paul was flesh and bone like me and you. And God had made it abundantly clear that he was not to go to Jerusalem. And you know what Paul says? Paul says, whether God likes it or not, I'm going to Jerusalem. He did go to Jerusalem. When he went to Jerusalem, one of the first things he did was he took an Old Testament oath. You say, Paul took an Old Testament? Yeah, the same fellow that spoke of of Christ taking that handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, he took an Old Testament oath. The same one that told us that we are free uh, from the bondage of sin and of the law. Yeah, he took an Old Testament. You say, wonder why he did that. The decision to step out of the will of God is always deliberate. Are you listening to me? The decision to step out of the will of God is always deliberate. But the mistakes we make afterwards sometimes aren't. You get out of the fellowship with God and you get out of the will of God, you'd be amazed how far you'll go and never even intend it to go that far. He's there in Jerusalem. There's a tumult. There's a riot that takes place. And they carry him away and put him in prison. He waits there for about two years. And finally he gets his trial before the magistrates. And things seem to be going well for him, as they always did for Paul. They're ready to string him up. And you know what he says? He was a Roman citizen. And he said, I appeal to Caesar. 
That don't mean nothing to me and you. If I say, I appeal to Caesar, you'd say, well, get me one of the $5 pepperonis and get me two of them cheeses. But he said, I appeal to Caesar. For a Roman, you know what that meant? That meant he was going to Caesar. And on to a ship he went. And you know that to our knowledge, to our knowledge, according to what the Bible teaches, from that day forward, we don't know of another time that Paul planted a single church. We know God used him to write 14 books of the New Testament, and God bless him for that. But that wasn't what Paul wanted to do. Paul's heart's desire was not to sit in a prison cell and write 14 books of the New Testament. That was not his, his desire, was to plant churches and preach the gospel. And to our knowledge, he left from there and never planted another church. You say, what happened? God put him on the shelf. That's what happened. That's what happened. God crippled him because that was the only way he could use him. And we find that in Jacob's life, Jacob is wrestling with God and God reaches down and he touches the hollow of his thigh. You say, why is that? Well, I've done a lot of study about that thigh and I can tell you a lot of things about it, but I think it's sufficient to say in this message that the thigh is the seat of power. Any of you that have ever had, I know I was talking to Miss Laverne earlier today about it. Anybody that's ever had hip replacements, you know how bad it is when that thigh goes out when that hip joint goes out, and when that thigh goes out, you know how bad it is. That's the seat of your power. All of your, I mean, your arm goes bad and it's rough, but you can still walk. You have a foot go down on you and it's rough, but you can still walk. But you have one of them hips go down and you can't hardly move or get around. Now here, Jacob is and he's wrestling with God. He wants his way and God reaches out and just touches him. God crippled him to keep from having to destroy him. Jacob was going to get what he wanted, but God loved him enough to cripple him, to keep him in his will. Now you say, I don't know about that, preacher. Well, that's what the Bible teaches. So I don't think I like that. Well, you'll learn to live with it because that's how God operates. That's how He operates. And you say, well, that don't seem like love. Well, you ought to see what would have been waiting for Jacob if he hadn't. I believe, and you don't have to believe this if you don't want, but I, believe, I listen, I believe if God hadn't touched his thigh, he would have struck him dead. I believe, and you say, why do you believe that? Because that was the only way God could get glory out of Jacob's life. God didn't want to do that to Jacob. He had to do that to Jacob. Because if he hadn't done that, he couldn't have got any more glory out of his life. There wouldn't have been a single reason for Jacob to have been walking around on this earth. God did it out of necessity. But through that necessity, he found a fresh relationship with God. Do you know sometimes God will put us through things to keep us close to Him? I know that seems simple. Let me give you an Old Testament analogy. Uh, when Mephibosheth is brought to the house of King David. The Bible speaks Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan. And David purposes in his heart that he's going to do kindness to the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake. And so he sends down to a place called Lodabar, which is uh, translated as no pasture. That's what it means. No pasture. No bread. No nothing. A barren place. And he uh, sends uh, down Zimri, uh, the, the, his servant, to go and to get Mephibosheth. And he loads him up into the wagon and brings him up to Jerusalem. And the Bible talks about all the things that David did for Mephibosheth. How that he uh, gave him, restored to him a plot of land that would have belonged to him if his granddaddy or daddy had still been alive. talks about how he put people out there to plant it and to sow it and to reap it, to harvest it, to prepare it. talks about how he did all these things. The Bible says that he gave Mephibosheth a place at the king's table. That's a blessed truth. That's you and me, Brother Charlie. Lost sinners down in Lodabar just waiting on death. 
till the king calls us. But it's interesting because as you read that passage in 2 Samuel chapter number 9, you know what happens? At the very end of that passage, it tells us that Mephibosheth was lame on both of his feet for the rest of his days. Now, why do you think God told us that? God told us that because we need to know that. Now, listen, if God was able to bring Mephibosheth out of Lodabar, he was able to heal his legs. But God chose not to do it. You know why? Because I kind of think if Mephibosheth, if, he, if his legs had been in good shape, he might have said, well, you know, I left a few things in Lodabar. Let me go get those. He might have said, well, I don't want to stay bound up here in the king's house. Maybe there's some things out there for me to explore and to see. And it wouldn't have been long before he would have been wandering from the king's table. He may have been lame, but he was lucky and loved to be there at the king's table. And if he had got up on his feet, if he had been had everything that he needed, if he had been self-sufficient, he would have also been independent. We see that God changed his infirmity or gave him a new infirmity. But I want to say that God changed his independence. Now, we've touched on it a bit, but read what it says there in the passage. It's an interesting exchange that takes place. God, Jacob has a hold of God. The Bible says he was prevailing against him. Jacob was winning. God reaches out and touches his thigh. And in a moment, things change. And do you know what happens? Now, all of a sudden, God looks at Jacob and he says, let me go. Now, before, he had had a hold of God. And, and God had a hold of him. But now, he's not, listen, he's not combating him. He's clinging to him. He's not fighting him. He's holding on to him. And Jacob says, except thou bless me, I will not let thee go. He went from fighting to clinging in that moment. Do you know that a lot of times in the prayer closet, God breaks us in such a way. In that alone time with God, God breaks us in such a way where we go from fighting against Him to we're just clinging on to His presence. We need that. We need it desperately in our life. Because this flesh will fight God with every breath that it has. And it has to be broken. It has to be mortified. Jacob had been an independent fellow, Brother Ralph. In fact, Jacob, we find that ever since he left the house of his father, everything Jacob had, he had got, even before he left the house, he had got it by his own wits, by his own ability. He had gotten uh, Esau's blessing and birthright through his own wit. He had gotten uh, both Rachel and Leah through his own wit and through his own ability. He had gotten rich and wealthy off of the cattle of Laban by his own wit and by his own ability. Jacob was a man that was used to getting things on his own terms and doing things his own way. But all of a sudden, he meets a man that he can't deal with in that way. He meets somebody that can't be bargained with, that can't be bribed, that can't have the wool pulled over his eyes. And he has to be changed in his independence change. Let me tell you something. Nothing will make you need God more than the prayer closet. I'm here to tell you tonight, if you don't want to need God in your life, don't spend any time in prayer. Because the second that you devote yourself to prayer and to devotional time, you know what that does? It's not that you need Him any more or less regardless, but it makes you aware of how bad you need Him. It makes you realize how much of God you need in your life. We see that His independence was changed, but we see that His identity was changed. A lot of folks trying to clean themselves up when that's God's job. A lot of folks trying to straighten themselves out when that's God's job. God looks at Jacob and says, what's your name? He says, it's Jacob. 
It's Jacob. He says, Thou art no more called Jacob, but thou shalt be called Israel. For as a prince hast thou prevailed with God and with men. As we said, names were important because they connected with a person's personality and character. And it's not, listen, it's not that God changed his name to change his character. It's that when God changed his character, he gave him a new name to go with it. When God changed what Jacob was on the inside, he gave him something on the outside to show others what had happened. There's a lot of people in life, you struggling with something? Trying to change it themselves. When God's the only one that can change it. You got sin in your life you're struggling with? Don't spend all your time trying to change it. Get in the prayer closet. Beg God to change it. And then when He shows you, be obedient. It changed Him. This is what we call the work of sanctification in the life of the believer. That's a good theological term. Makes me sound smart anyways. It's amazing what you'll read on them fortune cookies. I learned that today. Sanctification. Use that in a message tonight. It's amazing what God can do in a person's life. And the work of sanctification is the work of setting a person apart. And it has a lot of different connotations. A lot of times it's used in the idea of setting a person apart to ministry or setting a person apart to the pleasure of God's will. But a lot of times it also has the idea of separating a person from their sinful deeds or actions. And we're not going to have a whole theological conversation tonight. But suffice it to say that God has a desire to change us. Do you know why so many people... There's two types of people in this world as it relates to sanctification. There's some people that won't be saved because they're scared God will change them. Do you know why that is? Because they really think they're somebody. They really think they're something. Jacob did. Jacob thought he was somebody. Jacob was left alone. Jacob did not stop to seek God. God saw to it that he was alone so God could seek him does not say Jacob wrestled with God. It said there wrestled a man with him. God initiated this. And there's a lot of people that they don't want God to change anything about. And they say, well, that's me. That's my personality. No. Now, listen now. I know this is going to seem rough. But do you know when you got saved, you died? People say, well, I don't like it that way. Well, you're dead. It don't matter. <laughs> people say, well, you know, that's just not who I am. Well, you're dead. It don't matter. People say, well, I just don't know how I feel about that. Well, you're dead. It doesn't matter. All that matters is what God thinks about it. I'm not saying all that matters is what the pastor thinks. I'm not saying that all that matters is what the church folks think. I'm saying all that matters is what God thinks about it. That's what matters. People say, well, I don't care what anybody thinks. Well, you ought to care what God thinks. Because that does matter in our lives. And then there's other people that they're saved, but then they're rebellious because they don't want God to change them, and that's because they still think they're somebody. I'm, talk, I'm preaching to me tonight. Don't get upset. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. And there's times when I get rebellious on God because I really think I'm somebody, and I don't want God changing who I am. And you know why I think that? Because I forget that I have been washed from my old sins sometimes. And I forget that I've been bought with a price sometimes. And I forget that I don't belong to me sometimes. I forget that if I live, I live unto God. If I die, I die unto God. I forget that sometimes. And God has to remind me. Say, so where does He remind you? He reminds you in the prayer closet. He reminds you in that alone time with God. So God is changing Jacob. And He's already changed him from the inside. And that's evidenced by his actions. He's no longer struggling. He's submitting to God. He's no longer uh, trying to hide who he is. He's confessing who he is. Jacob has been changed. And so God says, I'm going to change the outside to match the inside. We see that this is a time of great changes 
But I'm going to close with this and six or seven other things. It's a time, it's a time of great championships. Do you realize that during this time, Jacob fought some battles? And during this time, Jacob encountered some changes. But we see that during these times, Jacob won some victories too. I want to give you three of them. First off, we see that his flesh was conquered. You know why a lot of us have trouble with our flesh? We don't spend no time alone with God. You see, we're again trying to do through our own will what only God can do through His Spirit. And it's funny that we talk so much of grace and of surrender in the matter of salvation, but we talk so very little of it in the matter of our walk with Christ after salvation. But do you know that God's grace is effectual in our lives, not only on the day that we get saved, but every single day afterwards and through eternity, the grace of God is effectual in our hearts and lives. You don't become a good Christian by determining and willing it. Now, there's some things you've got to make your mind up about. You and I both know that. But you don't do it through your own sheer brute force and will. You do it through surrender to the Spirit of God. You see, the flesh is conquered in the prayer closet because that's where it's exposed and that's where it's dealt with. You see people sometimes, they're doing pretty good till somebody makes them mad. You ever met anybody like that? I, I forgot, I forgot, I'm preaching to me. I'm like that. I'm like that sometimes. I'm doing pretty good. And you say, preacher, do people make you mad? Well, I'm pastor. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. And you're a church member, so sometimes they make you mad too. And sometimes people frustrate you and they disappoint you and they hurt you. And sometimes, just every now and then, I'm apt to get in the flesh over things. Do you know something I've found to be true in my life? Times when I've been spending time alone with God, I wasn't even consciously aware of it. But I got in that prayer closet alone with Him, and He wasn't wrestling with my spirit. He was wrestling with my flesh. And I wasn't even aware that He was doing it. But times when God has been crucifying my flesh in my life, and I wasn't even aware of it. And listen, those times when it's easy to get in the flesh because we've not been spending time with the Lord. Those times, by the same token, have you ever... I am preaching this at you, because this is sweet, so I am preaching this at you. Have you ever had a time when somebody, just they found that last nerve that you had, it was the only one left in your whole body, and they climbed on it, and you were surprised by the peace and the restraint that God gave you in dealing with them? You know, sometimes we have this tendency. You ever felt like this? Somebody ever said something to you, and afterwards you thought to yourself... Boy, I wish I had said that to him. You ever thought that before? You know what that is? That, that's God through the Spirit of God throwing a muzzle on you during that time. Because you need it like I need it. And you get surprised sometimes that God gave you the restraint and the compassion and the spirituality to deal with. You know, you'll find if you'll remember back in your life, those are times when you've been spending time with God. Your flesh was being conquered. Number two, we see that his fears were being calmed. Why was Jacob alone? Well, in Jacob's mind, he was alone because he was afraid of his brother Esau. He was fearful. He was terrified. I mean, he really thought, listen now, he really thought when he saw Esau, Esau was going to kill him. That's what he believed with his whole heart. You say, how do you know believe that? Or how do you know that? Why do you believe that? Because he sent all that money over to him. He wouldn't have parted with it. He wouldn't have given it up. He'd worked too hard to get it. He wouldn't have given it unless he thought his life was on the line. And he's fearful. He's afraid. He's terrified. But I'm interested that the Bible says this. 
as the sun begins to rise, the Bible says, and I believe it's verse uh, 31, I may be wrong, I don't have my Bible right in front of me, but it says that he passed over. What was he passing over? He was passing over that brook. You say, what was on the other side of that brook? Esau was on the other side of that brook. So after this encounter with God, you know what Jacob does? Jacob says, I'm now ready to face the thing that I feared the most. A lot of times when we're fearful, and we all get fearful, there's things, now listen to me, sometimes we say, I wish I knew uh, what the rest of my life would be like. No, you don't. You'd never crawl out of bed if you did. And I'd be the same way. And there's things in my life that terrify me. I'm being honest with you. I'm preaching this at me. There's things in my life that terrify me. And I'm not talking about, you know, fool. I mean, I'm not talking. If you're, listen, you're afraid of snakes. God bless you. That's fine. That, that ain't what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about afraid of spiders. I'm, not, I'm, talking about, uh, I'm talking about deep fears. I'm not talking about being scared of the dark or the water or, or closed in space. I'm not saying some of those things don't bother me, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about fears like failure. Fears like people hurting you. Fears like people being hurt by you. I'm talking about fears that, that paralyze you. Fears that will stop you from serving God if you let them. How do we deal with those? How do we cope with those? We get alone in the prayer closet and we allow God to wrestle with those fears. We allow, you know, <laughs> man, it's fun, Brother Ron, when God gives you stuff right in the middle of your preaching. We have two people spoken of in this passage. We have Jacob and Israel. Where was Israel at? I know it's the same man. Don't look at me like a calf staring at a new gate. I, I know that it's all one person. But God has two identities, two people that He's talking to here. Jacob and Israel. We know where Jacob was. Jacob is the natural man. He's been wrestling with God. Where was Israel at? Israel shows up after the wrestling's done. <laughs> you know what you do? You get in the prayer closet. And that spiritual man, he's in there worshiping. And all the while, God's wrestling with that natural man. <laughs> you say, I didn't even know that God was doing that in my life. No, you was worshiping. But your flesh was wrestling. God was accomplishing these things. God was wrestling with those fears. And I'll give you this one. His faith was confirmed. Why were his fears calm? Because his faith was confirmed. He says, I have seen God face to face. He had spoken about this God for a lot of years. For a lot of years, Brother Charlie. Spoke about the God of his father Abraham, Isaac. Talked about the God that had promised him. He had met with God a few times. He had pillowed his head on a rock. Seen a, uh, uh, seen a ladder reaching to the heavens. He had met with God before. But this same God, he says, I've seen Him in a different way now. I've seen Him face to face. And listen to what he says. He said, in my life, I am preserved. He says, he says if God's not wanting me dead, no one can kill me. If God doesn't want me... I've met with God. He could have killed me. He touched the hollow of my thigh. He could have touched this beating heart just the same. I've met with God. And I'm preserved. He didn't kill me. 
And so there's nothing for me to fear. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if God wills for me to live, then I believe God can keep me alive. If God wants this and wills this for my life, God can accomplish it. His faith has been... Where was that faith before? We, we don't find him. He, he had prayed earlier. But after he prayed, he sent over the gift. Why did he send the gift if he had prayed? He had prayed, but he didn't pray believing. But now he's prayed in a different way and he's believed God and he's met with God and his faith has been confirmed in this alone time. You'll never get stronger unless you spend time with God. You'll never get stronger. You'll never understand the Word of God. You'll never have the ability to walk with God. You'll never do anything profitable until you get left alone and start spending this time with God.